0: you're listening to podcateers
1: welcome to episode 247 of podcateers in this episode we chat about the news regarding content on disney's upcoming disney plus streaming service disney is taking an interesting approach to the opening of galaxy's edge and we talk about how effective it might be we talk about captain marvel and how it is doing its opening weekend And Melissa takes us down memory lane on Main Street, USA as she tells us about some of the shops that Main Street has seen. Remember that March Mayhem 2019 is underway. Voting is super simple. Just head over to our Instagram stories and cast your vote. Unless, of course, you're listening to this in the future, then you won't be able to do that. Unless you're listening to this in March in a different year, Maybe a new March Mayhem is going to be going on. Man, the future is complicated. The the point is that March Mayhem is going on right now. And if you're listening to this on launch day, first of all, thank you very much. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to just hang out with us for a little bit. And if you want updates on how the competition is progressing, just head over to Pocketeers.com. If you'd like to share your comments on anything that we talk about, we encourage you to join the conversation by dropping us a message on the blog post for this episode at podcuteers.com slash 247, or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter, just search for PodKeteers. If you like to do that YouTube thing, you can also check out our channel, just search for podketeers. We would love it if you took a moment to subscribe and maybe even hit that little bell icon for notifications whenever new videos are posted. Before we do this thing that we do, I would like to take a moment to send a huge thank you to the FGP squad. The FGP squad is a group of listeners just like you that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible via their support on Patreon. For more info on how you can become part of the FGP squad with a monthly or even one-time contribution, you can go to podcateers.com slash FGP. If you shop on Amazon and you'd like to help us out in a slightly different way, you can start that purchase by heading to podcateers.com slash amazon on that page you'll find an amazon button that'll take you to amazon's homepage using our special referral link and anything that you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from amazon because we're mentioning them on this podcast if you're already using this process to make your purchases we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you if you're new to the podcast welcome to the Podketeers family we hope that you like what you hear and we hope that you come back for more maybe even tell a friend or two because you know that's that's how you spread the love i mean you could also bring them food i mean i like when people bring me food all food nachos burgers pizza chocolate cake you name it i like it but another great way to show your friendship is to Tell somebody about PodKeteers. So if you like the podcast, make sure to recommend it to a friend. It is time to jump into this episode of the podcast. So here we go. This is episode 247 of (laughs) Podketeers. Well, guys, the
2: streak is over. Streak? What's the streak? The streak is over. I thought streaking ended in the 70s. No, that's the wrong (laughs) type of
1: streaking, sir. Oh, my bad. The streaking I am referring to is not against the law. The streaking (laughs) I am referring to is the one that says that finally, Hazen has gone back home. (laughs) Yay! And I stepped foot in Disneyland again for the first time (laughs) in 2019 Dang I know, it seems horrible That's crazy Right three months in (laughs) that I'm making my first trip to the parks It was not a long trip to the park It was one of those things that was kind of last minute Mm -hmm. My brother gave him gift cards for Christmas And we had not had a chance to go back So we promised them that we would head to the park specifically for that. Um, we nice. figured, well, we're here for a couple of hours. Might as well just try to ride a couple things. So they each chose a, an attraction and we ended up getting on the jungle cruise and Autopia. We did nice. not cool. do mansion Opening or pirates. Day classics. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> didn't do mansion or pirates, but I mean, hey, hey, that's what the kids wanted. So that's what we did. <laughs> And uh, I I had a chance to step into the tropical hideaway uh, a little bit, which we didn't get a chance to eat there. We just kind of stepped in, took a look around. We do plan on going back very soon. I think I'm going to be there next weekend again. Um, That way uh, I have a little bit more time and it's an actual planned trip, you know, where I can stay a little bit longer. But yeah, we we went after watching Captain Marvel this morning. Nice. And I have to tell <laughs> you, I've read some stuff online about how people are totally hating on this, and how some people were hating on Brie Larson for the you know the character portrayal, and I mean, I walked out of there thinking, "Man, I like this movie." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's good. I liked it a lot, actually. So I was pretty <laughs> surprised about the criticism of Brie Larson in the role of Captain Marvel. Mel, you saw it this morning, too, right? I did. And she's... What did you think of it?
0: Oh, I need to see it again. And she's in my top three. She top, easily... top three what?
2: People of all Remember time? Remember how
0: we... Yes. <laughs> of MCU characters. Oh, okay. She's up there. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know anything about her. Nothing. And what I saw was like this was perfect. But yes, you'll need tissues.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there
1: was a couple of moments especially. I mean, man, they start pulling on those heartstrings from the beginning. Uh-huh. You know, but uh, I thought it was very fitting. I thought it was really well done. But yeah, if you can be an emotional person, those first few seconds, (laughs) and they will get you. (laughs) They will get you. Yeah, Yeah. overall, I think the film was really well done. I like the story, and I like how they kind of tied it all together. There was a lot of things that we just knew as fact in the MCU, and they give you some answers to those things in this film. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that I heard was, well, it doesn't really tie in all the other movies. And I, I, to those people, I say, well, this takes place way before any of these movies take place. Uh-huh. So that's why they don't really reference it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm going to go watch it again. Like, I enjoyed it mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot. But this is not one of those that I want to go watch again in the movie theater like I did Infinity War uh, but I will end up purchasing this film once it is out on Blu ray.
0: Cool. I think everything that they did, even the 90s nods, that was all awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The soundtrack was really good. Yeah. Too. I think it was very appropriate. It was, you know, it was kind of this weird mixture of. I think the director wanted a little bit of Avengers, but yet a little bit of Guardians of the Galaxy and a little bit of Thor Ragnarok yeah. all in one film because there was a lot of character traits that you know, were mixed into the character and how the music tied in and just how it played a role in telling the story that really made you feel that the director really wanted all of those elements to kind of begin the Mm tie-in, if that makes any sense, because I know we're getting this film last, but it's kind of the predecessor to everything, so Hmm. yeah, super weird, super cool, all at the same time. I totally dug it, and if you guys have not seen it, totally recommend it as well.
2: Um, I have a couple questions. First of all, I'm I'm offended that you didn't ask if I saw it, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) With your track
1: record? (laughs) So... Let me let me put this envelope up to my head. Uh-huh. No, it is a Marvel movie. <laughs> Gavin. You are correct sir. Did you watch <laughs> Captain Marvel today? Nope. <laughs> I, did, I did
2: not. Carnex beaks. <laughs> very very well done. Uh, so did they play any nineties music in it?
0: Oh yes. Yes. Oh, that's a cool. Yeah. I'll
2: have to listen to the soundtrack on Spotify or something um yeah so when is it set like i everybody says the 90s but like 1991 is very different than 1998 right so like Ni- i want early say 90s the,
0: yes i saw a date and it was 92
2: nice that's what i have okay seen. Yeah, that sounds cool.
0: Cool. so yeah
1: very cool it's right about the time that grunge really started to pick up yeah Nirvana was really becoming impactful uh, in the music scene very cool and so like you know there's there's nods to that A in lot the film of it. as well so I like it yeah really well done um so yeah congratulations to everyone that worked on Captain Marvel as of us recording this episode it has already grossed 455 million worldwide Whoa. this weekend uh-huh. So, Dang. 302 million international and 153 million domestic, making it the sixth highest uh, global debut in box office history. Awesome. So, I, this is awesome. And I love the fact that this was also on the heels of International Women's yes! Day. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was just kind of like, ah, oh, that's such a punctuation on it, it that it was just beautiful.
0: Whoever did that behind marketing, bravo. That was awesome. Do
1: you think there was actual thought behind that? I would think so. Or do so. you think that it was just you know it just happened to be at that time?
0: No, it's too much of a coincidence because you think so? Yeah, because the because what the film, all the little messages and whatnot, I I took it as I think they they thought about it when to release it. Hmm. Is just okay. I could see that. So many things. Yeah, because this is what I the think, first
2: or? big marvel movie that's the central character is a female right is that right correct yes they've had some tv shows but not uh, a feature film so it would make sense that they would be strategic like that i i could see it. it's also like not competing with a whole lot right now right like there's not another it's not huge release so it worked out on all levels yeah yeah I really hope that it
1: was planned and it just didn't happen to be that, <laughs> oh, you know, we want to make sure that we get this out before Infinity War, so this seems like a good date. <laughs> you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I really hope that there are some progressive thinkers, you know, behind making sure that that was released on that particular day because I'm telling you, punctuation on the fact that the film was just awesome It's cool so i'm in go watch it yeah i can i can say you know i don't get to say this very often but i contributed to that initial box office because normally i just <laughs> wait a couple oh, weeks when true. the crowds die down <laughs> and then if i don't really care about the film i just wait for the red box nice <laughs> And years from now, when people are listening back to these episodes and they're like, what's a red box? Well, that was literally a red box outside of a building where you would swipe a piece of plastic that said, hey, this person has an account that we will take money from. And in exchange, we will let you borrow (laughs) these things called DVDs that will allow you to play a film on your projected televisual system televisual. or lcd panel tv i don't know what it's going to be like years from now when you kids are watching stuff on your holograms but that's how we <laughs> did it back in the day
3: right uh, i think it's going to be farther than
2: 10 years for people to forget what dvds are you don't I think know it'll be a little farther than that <laughs> you don't but know. they might be obsolete by then i will agree with that they very yeah. true very true
1: I mean, how many things do you see on VHS now? Zero. None. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, and so can I just quickly add that... Actually, let's jump into this. The announcements for Disney Plus that happened this last week. Yeah. Yep. Super cool that they announced uh, that pretty much everything is coming to Disney Plus, which in essence means... Goodbye, Disney Vault. Yep. Uh Sorry that we can't sell you a brand new version in a new rare rock or precious metal (laughs) in the future. Because now you could just pay us a monthly fee to watch it all.
2: Bejeweled
1: edition. (laughs) The bejeweled edition. That is what Disney Plus is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) New to our bling bling collection.
1: (laughs) That's funny.
2: Did we
0: not call this...
2: Well, you know, I I have so many thoughts about this. First of all, I think that I'm a little surprised, but also impressed that they decided to do the whole feature film catalog.
3: Uh Um,
2: And I I think that's what they had to do to be a viable streaming service. They had to do that. Now, I think we haven't heard anything about the one thing that I would feel makes them truly competitive, and that's Disney Channel stuff. So all of their television properties from like Kim Possible to Disney Afternoon, even to Gravity Falls, like we haven't heard a peep about the Disney TV stuff, the Disney Channel stuff, right? That's what I think would make them truly competitive. But this puts them in the arena and gives them a shot against things like Netflix, which is the, you know, king of the room right now. So... I think it's awesome. They also, I read somewhere that they're going to be, you know, like with the elimination of the vault, they're also going to be releasing home media versions of their catalog. So, like, everything's coming out of the vault, whether you stream or you buy a physical copy, which I think is really cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm missing a few of the princess movies. And yeah, to know that they're going to do this, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, thank you, because I can't find, I can't buy Sleeping Beauty. And that's the one movie that I could watch over and over. And yeah. I, instead of waiting, I'm just going to get this. I'm a binge watch. So yeah. I'm so excited when they had announced that. Thank you, Disney.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. When Disney first started to partner with companies like iTunes, for instance, one of the things that really got to me was the fact that if you went and you redeemed that code – it was essentially locked to iTunes. You couldn't stream it on any other service that came along because it's been redeemed with a digital service at this point. And what iTunes and Disney would do is if a film was coming to a particular anniversary or they were going to celebrate it in, in a way that required a lot of attention for the film, They would pull it from that service. And so all of a sudden, if you went into your iTunes library, it would be deleted. It just would not be there until the time frame passed. And then they just allowed it to be back in the streaming service. Hmm. Hmm. So one thing that I really liked was when Disney Movies Anywhere kind of circled into having its own digital service. And then it ultimately became... Movies anywhere. Yeah, you know when they started to to circle around and have all the services just kind of make it a one stop shop, right? It, it was nice because regardless of whether you cashed in a code for Google Play Music or for Amazon or for iTunes, they all lived in one place. Now I haven't experienced a time since then that a movie has been pulled. You know, where all of a sudden it's not available. I personally like having the Blu-ray versions because it, it allows me to have a physical copy, you know, that I can, mm-hmm. I can put on a device if I need to yeah. be, when it's not available for streaming or for downloading. And I, I think... For for film collectors, it's going to become a really big thing going on in the future. So, one, I like the fact that they're releasing everything, like you said, Mel, to be able to purchase some of those things that weren't available before. And I hope that they don't stop doing it for some time as well. Yeah. Um, but if they go into this model where everything's available, I hope that they don't pull them from the service. You know, that they don't have these you know, turnarounds because it's their stuff. Yeah. Right. There's no need to, to be paying somebody to house it or anything. Uh, So I really hope that that is not one of the things that they do. Also, you know, a lot of people have asked us, people have posted it online. Are we getting song of the
2: South?
0: Nope. All indications
2: are no, we won't be getting that. Um, I understand why I don't understand some of the labels that it gets. Um, I think that it was definitely not what we would consider to be a politically correct film. Um, I think it was most likely culturally insensitive. And definitely there was some ignorance involved in the characterizations and storytelling in it. But I don't feel like it's a racist film. Um, It's been probably 15 years since I've seen it. So I don't have a clear recollection of it. Um, I could be mistaken that they're in saying that there are no truly racist parts in it. So it's weird. It lives in this weird space where, you know, I, I think we need to be careful about, you know, erasing history, but also, you know, we don't want to propagate bad messages either. So, right. I don't know. It's tough because it is a, a wonderfully made film. It's technically years ahead of its time. And I don't know. It's weird that it's it's a milestone piece in the Disney catalog that most people today have never seen and don't really know what it is at all. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It
1: If they were to release it as part of the service, they would get so much backlash that I think people would not sign up just on the fact alone mm-hmm. that Song of the South is going to be on there. But again, I, I think when it was created i don't want to say that it was culturally accepted by everyone because there was a segment of people that really spoke in a certain manner regarding other people and it would be culturally insensitive you know to put that out there at this point do you think that if they remade the film And they Mm. put out, like, an updated version that's a little more culturally sensitive? Or is that just a point in Disney history where we just have to say, you know what? It was made. It was – if there are these types of statements in the film, you know what? It was a mistake. And let's just move on. We learn from it. We live in a different time. That's not going to happen
2: again. I mean, maybe. I, I, as you know, I'm not a big proponent of remakes, so, I mean, maybe they could do a re splicing of the film and remove. Because I know that there's like one or two scenes in particular that most people cite when they talk about it, um, which are not necessarily integral to the plot of the film. So I could see like maybe a, a re splicing, like make it a shorter film and mm-hmm. make it.
0: Yeah. That's
2: what would that's... be okay. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that either. I'm wondering if maybe they just released it as part of the home media release so you could purchase it if you want to, but it's not on the streaming. So, you know, if you don't want your kids watching it, then they don't watch it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe even yeah. put a rating level on it that won't let kid little kids buy it or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if there's a good solution here. I really don't. And see, that's where you kind of fall into
1: this weird cycle because if you did release it as part of, let's say, just the home media – then there could be backlash from people saying, well, it wasn't important enough for you to include it in the service. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, there also could be people that when you talk about the resplicing, it it, it could be like you're trying to erase Disney mm-hmm. history. And, you know, it plays right into how sometimes people feel about the company saying, well, you're just trying to brush it under the rug at this right. point, which wouldn't be the case.
2: Right. right. But Agreed.
1: Yeah, it's a really difficult situation. Well, I think the fact that they're just not releasing yeah. it might be the answer. at this Yeah,
2: point. unfortunately, I think that probably is the best of all answers. Um, interestingly enough, it to me by no means is the most egregious example of social missteps in the animation history at the Disney Studio because there are certain shorts that they created that have really, really terrible stereotypes and, you know, insensitivities in them. And mm-hmm. to be quite honest, the, there are some characters in Dumbo, a very beloved film. That's always been out that make me cringe a little. And there's some characters in lady and the tramp make me cringe a little, you know, that are just a little, they, they, step up to the line and maybe cross the line for me you know as far as like should we really be cool with this so it's weird the song of the south gets the brunt of all of this you know it's like one film it's like yeah. it's almost like disney got away with more because they're like oh well look we took this one and we put it in the closet and we're not letting it out so we're okay right um that's kind of dumbing it down i know but i don't know this is a this is a sticky issue for sure.
1: So I want to pose a question to all of the listeners and and I want to make this an honest discussion without, you know, really bickering, because I know how flared up the commentary can become on a topic this sensitive Would you want to see a re-spliced version of Song of the South? Or do you think Disney's just making the right decision by just not releasing it at all and trying to be as culturally sensitive as possible by, you know, not furthering the span of this film? And as the years go on, like you said, Gavin, less and less people will have seen it and less and less people will have been able to reference it. Right. You know, unless, you know, people like us talk about it or something. But, you know, we're talking about it from a historical standpoint.
0: <laughs> it's it's kind of like, darn if you do, darn if you don't. Like, you're just stuck in the middle.
2: Sure. Either yeah, way. Yeah, It's really, really strange. On a final side note, um, it is interesting that the Uncle Remus stories, um, which were published long ago, um, are still available at your local bookstore. So this is not banned material. Other than the Disney film, and it's a self-ban. Yeah. Nobody banned it. Like nobody made Disney ban it. It's a self-ban. So right. that's also right. of note. That's a
1: uh, that's a good note. There's plenty of books. Oh, yeah. know, throughout history that are yeah. like that, yeah. and some of them are classics in English classes throughout the U.S. Yeah.
2: Well, some of it is important to learn from. You know, like this is yeah. what's not. I agree. Cool.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> right. Right.
2: okay so the disney plus bomb was just bomb number one that disney dropped on us this week (laughs)
3: uh
2: within an hour or two of that announcement i can't remember if this happened first or second but we also got a major announcement about Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have an opening date, kids. Mark your calendars. May 31st at Disneyland and August 29th for uh-huh. Disney World. I, I had right. a brain fart there. Uh, and so, FYI, you heard that first
1: on Podketeers via Instagram. Right. Which I'm is sure totally that's... untrue.
0: <laughs> but, no. you know, I thought
1: I'd put it out there. Because then people, people will be like, oh, wow, did you hear that? Podcateers posted it first. I mean, <laughs> if you got your notifications turned
2: on, you probably did hear it from Podcateers first. That's so, right. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, so we've got a date, kids. That's we exciting. Do. And it's earlier than we thought. I think the general consensus that it would be that it would be sometime in June, mm-hmm. um, all the like Cars Land opened in June um you know it seems like that's when they like to do the major openings is you know once summer kicks off but i guess the 31st is kind of the kickoff for summer uh it's right after Memorial Day so i don't know i'm i'm just excited that we know when it's going to happen now yeah yeah now that being said it's they've changed up the game this time around And for the first, like, I don't know how many weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, something like that, they're going to be taking reservations to get Mm -hmm. into the land, which is a really interesting concept. It doesn't cost anything extra to get a reservation, but you basically will have to make a reservation to go into Galaxy's Edge for the first little while. Now, that's going to do a couple of really good things. It's going to... It's going to limit the crowd within the land. Um, And if you wanted to go and you got a reservation, then you're guaranteed to get in and not have to wait forever and ever and ever to get in. You know, because I think the idea was that those of us that wanted to get in right away, we're going to sit in a line for (laughs) possibly forever
3: (laughs) to do that. At
2: least three and a half weeks. So, what do you guys think about this reservation idea? This is a new way to open a land. What are your thoughts?
0: I love it that they're not charging.
2: (laughs) Because that was
0: something we were so afraid of, is that they were going to charge a lot. (laughs) But I like the system, and it's very, very, very similar to Universal um, when they had Hogsmeade. Yeah. So, yeah, when they had Hogsmeade open... Uh, they had their soft opening, and they had these like fast passes. Okay. And I had a few friends who had certain times that you were able to go in. So, you know, I'm all for that. If they're they're gonna do this, cool. If this allows, it'll oh. allow more people to see that. It'll kind of help out with the first day rush. Granted, there's not gonna be any attractions open, but I don't care. I want to see everything. So, hey, kudos. And once those reservations are open, I'm going to probably get one. No, I will get one. Scratch that.
2: At least you're going to try. Right. Yeah, that's the thing is that we don't know yet when the reservation option is going to go live. Um, We do know that on that day, Disney's website will probably break Oh yeah. in in many pieces. And then they'll have to scramble to bring it back up. Uh, Uh I'm just concerned it's going to be like a weekday when I'm at work. And I'm not going to get a reservation, you know, like that's the thing that kind of stresses me out a little bit because I really did kind of have my heart set on going day one. You know, it's the first time since I've I became a resident of SoCal that I can, you know, do this, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is a major thing. I've never been here during a major opening before. And this is my first chance. And I really wanted to do it because I love Star Wars and I love this idea. And now it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, even if I take that day off, like you kind of have to pre-schedule that, you know, with work. I don't know if I'll get a reservation for that day. So it's, I don't know, it's a little stressful.
0: If I don't get a reservation, I still want to go to the park as crazy as it may sound. I want to see what happens. I want to see like, I want to feel the energy. I want to be there and say that I was there yeah and kind of just experience like okay maybe I don't go in but I want to see like what would happen here or how is this part of the park going to be or I just have so many questions that I want to have answered so um yeah I think I'm pretty much set on going no matter what
1: yeah so the idea of creating a special reservation, like you guys noted, I think is a very good idea. I think it worked out well for the opening of Hogsmeade. And I think some people that are tied into the industry were paying attention to how they rolled out the opening of Hogsmeade. And they just thought, you know what, this is a really great way to do it. It's a great way to manage crowds, especially considering that not everything's going to be open and nothing is going to have a fast pass or max pass attached to it on opening day. So Mm -hmm. if you were thinking about just getting to the park and opening your Disney app and hopefully snagging one of those reservations, that is not going to be an option on opening day. With that said, it's interesting to me that they're opening it in phases because I don't know if this was a promise to the board that they were gonna get it open by a certain day or if they're trying to meet certain criteria. But it's interesting that they decided to just not wait another month or two and then just open it completely when it's completely finished. So the idea of opening just a portion of it and only having one attraction available on that day, kind of interesting to me. Um, And as far as the reservation thing is concerned, I think we already got a glimpse of how they're going to do this. and. I want to say that we talked about this in an episode late last year. Uh, If we didn't, uh, or if we did, maybe it'll trigger something for you guys. But what ended up happening was we received a notification that there was going to be this special event and i remember vj sent me a text message and said hey look there's a special event watch out for this message and it's possibly going to be like a preview of galaxy's edge or or something and so we were just watching and watching and as soon as disney posted it we went and signed up we entered all our information we did what you normally do. You know, you go to the link and you follow the instructions, basically. And so we we got confirmation emails saying that we were in. We had time slots for, you know, the day that we tried for. And then days later, we received a second email saying, hey, by the way, psych, there's no event. We, yeah. This was just a test right. email. Nothing's happening. So we were super confused. Weeks ago, when this event was supposed to happen, according to the original email, we got in contact with Disney and we said, hey, we received this email. They talked to several departments and they said, no, it was just a test. We're really sorry. There's nothing going on. There's no events. Sorry about that. So we thought, "Okay, at least we know nothing's actually happening. But it does seem like they were testing that in particular for how they're going to do the reservations for the opening of galaxy's edge if it does turn out to be that way it is difficult because if you are not available to see the tweet or to see you know the post Mm -hmm. on instagram or facebook or however you follow disney and go to that link those reservations get snagged up super quickly Yeah. Granted, this is not a two or three hundred person event like these little special events that they do after hours. This is thousands of people that they're going to allow. However, there are possibly hundreds of thousands that will be interested in the opening of Galaxy's Edge. So as we've heard in very popular films before, may the odds be forever in your favor because... (laughs) District nine is gonna represent that day. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh
2: yeah, I I'm very fascinated by the opening in phases. Now you mentioned the whether or not they had pressure to open. I do remember a couple years ago um that um I think it was Bob Iger that actually pushed for a very aggressive timeline with it. And I don't know if he was trying to uh, I I, I want to say it had to do with the timeline of the movies. Like he wanted this park to open during the time that the th- current trilogy was coming out. So like at the, the last movie in the trilogy comes out at the end of this year. So he would see it as a fail if it came out after that. Like he wanted it in the middle of all the Star Wars hype, right? So yeah. I think that's part of the reason why they have this. Contracted timeline and why they want to open it as soon as they can, even if everything's not ready. There is precedent for that. Uh, You know, I think of New Orleans Square most prominently opened with, you know, basically the square itself and then a little while later pirates opened and then many years later not many years but several years later the mansion opened and it had just been there as a facade you know and in that scenario i don't mind it as much as something like pixar pier which is coming out in phases because pixar pier it's like finished unfinished finished unfinished it's like you walk through it and it's kind of cool and then it's a mess and then it's cool Mm -hmm. and then it's a mess and then you know it's like it just seems so chaotic and with this the layout of it is such that the second attraction which is Rise of the Rebellion which is the one I'm most excited about uh, is kind of back off to the left you know on its own so that you're not walking by this dead space the whole time you're exploring Batuu, right? So there's going to be all this energy and, and, and happenings going on in the center of the land. And of course, of course, around the millennium Falcon attraction, but that one's not going to hurt the overall vibe so much because it is kind of off to the side. So, I feel like it's going to be okay. Again, that's the one that I'm most excited about. So on one hand, I'm disappointed that we don't get it for a few more months. But on the other hand, I'd rather them not rush something out. You know, I I want them to get it perfect if that's what's going on here, which it seems like that is. If it's not ready, they're not going to open it, right? Right. So I'm I'm totally cool with that. You know, like there are attractions in the not-too-distant past that they kind of rushed out that they needed to then – go back and, and fix some stuff. Most notably to me is the Little Mermaid attraction, which I don't know if you guys remember, what, but when it came out, the lighting in there was really bright. You could see all of the machinery. You could see yeah. the ceilings. like it was. And a lot of people were like, eh, it's not really that great. And then they went back in and they changed the lighting package. They repainted, especially the under-the-sea scenes so that everything that you weren't supposed to see was completely blacked out. And, you know, they kind of restarted the attraction. So I'm happy that they're waiting until it's perfect. Yeah, And it's, it's going to be this year. They said it'll be released later this year. It's just not going to be opening day. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword, you know, when it
1: comes to the opening of Galaxy's Edge. Because you're saying, you know, we don't want anything that's not perfect. But at the same time... They're opening something that's incomplete. Sure. You know, so they're they're going to get criticism either way. So I think the safest thing for them to do is open what's available and keep the commitment. Maybe something happened during the construction that we're just not aware of. Things happen Mm -hmm. during construction where maybe there was some land that needed additional structure support or something, you know, because... Those buildings and those attractions have a massive weight that is going into the ground, aside from the fact that there's going to be people on top of it. So maybe they're using this time to make it structurally sound in some way. You never know with construction. You could plan for something and then things come up and you just have to deal with them. And maybe they couldn't deal with it in the time frame that they would have wanted. And that's what's delaying this. And if that's the case, I totally understand it. We just recently did an episode on California Adventure, you know, and we talked about DCA 1.0 and how it was just kind of rushed out there. Mm -hmm. You get things like DCA 1.0 when you rush things out there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so the fact that they've taken a step and learned from something like that and thought, well, this can be ready. This won't be ready. Let's just open this part. Yeah. You know, and I think that's great. The idea that I thought there was going to be a soft open, you know, we, we had talked about this previously. You know, we, we had chatted about this, that I had heard rumblings that there was going to be this soft open in May. I didn't think that it was going to become an official opening at the end of May. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was going to be, hey, let's test out this. Let's see how it goes. Let's test out all these alternate endings. And it's just super strange. That doesn't mean, though that we won't get some kind of soft opening where they're going to charge yeah. some exuberant amount like they did for Pixar peer, because I'm sure there will be people that will pay that premium, especially for galaxy's edge.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know about this one because I feel like they may not want more spoilers than they've already released. Uh, as soon as I say that I realize they've released a ton of spoilers already. Um, So that may not be the case, but I definitely think they would do at the very least cast member previews. So, you know, they actually get some good testing of the experiences under the belt, but yeah, I don't know. I I feel like this is going to be a non soft opening kind of event. Personally Mm -hmm. on another note, you know, like with the rise of the rebellion attraction, I want to compare it one step further to new Orleans square, you know, the Haunted Mansion that didn't open until three years after that land opened wasn't behind, like, construction walls. It The facade was done, right? Yeah. Everything that was being worked on was behind the berm in the show building. You know, you just had the gate that was closed. I feel like that's what's going to be going on with Rise of the Rebellion. We're not going to see, like, construction walls or scrims or anything. So I don't feel like it's visually or in any way like that, going to detract from the experience that we would have in this land. So for me, I'm, I'm really not worried about it being, I don't know, taking away from the experience right away. I think it's going to be something that once it opens, it's going to just broaden the experience that we'll get to have in that land. If they take that approach, uh,
1: it will be one of the coolest marketing things they've done in a really long time because, Mm -hmm. They could put up a bunch of signs or they could have stormtroopers there or they could have, well, not stormtroopers, but they could have, you know, rebel spies or something saying, hey, we're working on something here. Come back in a few months once we're done with it. And because of the immersive experience that they are promising for Galaxy's Edge, how great would that be if now you're in on the secret about what's happening before they rise? It it would be super cool if they took that (laughs) approach.
0: I wouldn't put it past them because, you know, they're known for uh, spiels and whatnot. So that would be pretty awesome.
1: I agree. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I know a lot of the answers that we're going to get by posing this question. But let's put it out there anyway. How does everybody feel about the opening of Galaxy's Edge? Will you be there? on may 31st if you're able to snag one of the coveted reservation spots or do you feel that may 30th is the last day you're going to go for a while because the crowds are just going to be super insane for just quite a bit leave a comment join the conversation over on instagram facebook or on twitter we'd love to hear your thoughts on this and we'll share those thoughts in an upcoming episode
2: All right, so speaking of listener comments, I wanted to go back a couple weeks to uh, a listener who uh, put a little comment on my Instagram post for the episode about California Adventure 2.0. Oh, yeah, yeah. So shout out to Disney Lover 1216. Cool. Uh, She wrote in a comment, says, amazing podcast. When I listen, it's like having friends who understand my love for all things Disney. I'm a fairly new listener, but I look forward to the episodes each week. Thank you for all the great content. So that was awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really sweet. Um, So yeah, we we thank you guys for listening, for tuning in, for uh, joining us as friends in this kingdom we love so much. (laughs) Yeah, and if you if you happen to like the
1: podcast and you like what we do here, you know, tell a friend. The greatest way to help spread the love is to just tell somebody. It's free. Yeah. Commandeer their phone and say, hey, you have that podcast app, right? Yeah, cool. Let <laughs> me sign you up for this podcasteers <laughs> podcast. They might make you laugh and you might learn something. Who knows? Heck yeah. To everybody out there that's listening, thank you all. And maybe leave a review on iTunes. But if it's anything less than five stars, please don't. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: we have to pay oh, if, if it's anything less than five stars. So, you know, just five-star ratings, everyone. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Was that on, on – uh, you said it was on Instagram? Yeah, it was on Instagram. Very cool. Well, so. Disney Lover, 1216, thank you very much for your comments. Um, we're Disney Lover. What number should we give ourselves? Because it seems like it's it's like a 23? membership card.
2: Yeah, Disney lover twenty three.
1: Yeah, oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're doing there. Or it could be
2: it's... Club Disney Lovers thirty three. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> one uh, day
3: I'll
1: get a chance to dine there. One, right? day. <laughs> one day. One day. One day. All right. Well, before we continue, just want to let you guys know that this episode of Pocketeers is brought to you by the generosity of a fine group of folks that we like to call our podcast fairy godparents, but they like to call themselves the FGP squad. And if you want a little bit more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com slash FGP for more information. To everyone that is a part of the FGP squad, we just want to send out a huge thank you. We heart you. And we're sending hugs. You know, yeah.
0: Hugs. You guys rock. Hugs are good. <laughs> hugs are good. Squirrel. <laughs>
1: okay. So this week, we wanted to talk about uh, a section of the park that's very near and dear to us. We all see it because, quite frankly, it's the only way to really get into the park, and that is Main Street, USA. Uh, There's a lot of history, obviously, for Main Street, USA. There's been a lot of changes since opening day, and... If we told you all those changes, it's probably going to be a 17-hour episode, so oh, we're going to try to compress that, and we're going to have Melissa tell us a little bit about Main Street USA, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the changes and some of the things that we've learned throughout the years about this amazing part of the park. So without further ado, let's do this, smell.
0: Sure, and I will try not to take 17 hours, because there's a lot <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> there is. There's so much <laughs> good stuff was not easy (laughs) (laughs) alrighty so Main Street USA pretty much it feels like home for me it does for many others it does too smelling the sweet goodness of the baked goods seeing the many shops before us you know and seeing what was there before there's like little hints and stuff so as you may know Main Street USA is based off of Walt's hometown of Marceline, Missouri. Walt wanted to bring a taste of home to Disneyland. And I mean, that's a pretty sweet tribute considering we're still talking about it 63 years later. So one thing for sure, Main Street USA is the one land that does get many holiday or celebration treatments. Mm-hmm. It, you would see like the bunting, the garlands, And now recently the Valentine's Day, I mean, this land goes all out and it's really, really sweet throughout the whole year.
2: I love the bunting that they do because to me, that's such a classic style of decor and Mm -hmm. it totally fits with that era of, you know, Main Street kind of thing. And I've always been totally in love with the Halloween bunting, you know, the oranges and yellows that they put up. I think it makes the street look magnificent, along with all the pumpkins and such. But right now, I am so super digging the Mickey and Minnie colors that they have (laughs) in bunting, and I love it. It's perfect. And I just want to jump in,
1: too, and I just want to tell you (laughs) that before your sentence, I had no idea that was called bunting.
2: Really? (laughs) Really? I had no idea. Yes. <laughs> Learning things on Podcateer. That's hey. so cool. I had no <laughs> idea. I read
1: so much about Main Street. N-
0: never came up. That is awesome. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so on this episode, the focus will be mainly on the shops that have come, gone, or are current. So the way I'm going to describe it is I'm going to try to paint a map as if you're walking towards the castle. And I'm gonna go left, right. I did not realize that there's more shops on the right.
1: Mhm. Yeah.
0: All right. So the first shop is the Emporium, and with its name on both sides of the street in large marquee style, you really can't miss this opening day shop. Being the largest and the busiest shop on Main Street, this shop has a very unique history inside and out, with its Victorian style the shop itself is gorgeous. There's a chandelier in the center of one of the main areas that I think is really beautiful. Step inside the shop and look up and you'll see a couple of things, particularly the tailor, the hatter, and the barber. And you could actually find similar nods on Buena Vista Street in Elias and Company. You just gotta look up. Yep. So step outside and you'll see the windows of enchantment. Since 1969, the windows have had displays of beloved Disney animation scenes. Currently, there's a window for Frozen, Aladdin, Cinderella, Toy Story, and Princess and the Frog. If you were to continue to walk through the Emporium in the direction of the castle, you will see displays of plushes. Go a bit further and you'll see the toy section. Take a moment to look up, you'll find some of the beloved figures from Disney Films and a train that goes all around the section of the shop, which is really, really sweet.
1: One of my favorite parts, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, we're going to go to the Disney Showcase, which is across the street. Before the Disney Showcase was across the street from the Emporium, the famous Wurlitzer Music Hall was in its place from opening day to 1968. They had daily concerts inside the shop. And if you needed to, you were able to purchase a piano or an organ there as well.
2: Wow.
1: (laughs) How crazy is it, right? What are you going to Disneyland for? To buy a baby grand. (laughs)
0: Right. And you know what tripped me out is that they closed in 1968. I want to know if they were to have opened one year later how many organs they would have purchased because yeah, of because Mansion? Because of Mansion? Yeah, we uh-huh. could
2: have had a themed sale.
0: <laughs> uh, right? That's, I'm like, man. oh man.
2: That's funny. Crazy. I never thought of that before. <laughs> so, in
0: 1970, the hall was transitioned to the legacy of Walt Disney, but it only lasted for three years. After that, it became the Disneyland Presents, a preview of coming attractions in 73. And it wasn't until 1989 that Disneyland had the Disney showcase that we know today. Next shop we're going to be talking about is Main Street Magic Shop. Woo! Oh, sorry,
2: (laughs) got a little extra. Hazen lives.
0: So, opening in 1957, the Main Street Magic Shop sold magic tricks and souvenirs, but it was also a place where you could catch a magician doing tricks. Mm -hmm. You could find shelves filled with fun oddities and unique items. But a very similar shop opened in 1955 in Fantasyland. This was Merlin's magic shop. Hmm. And, of course, well-known actor Steve Martin had his start over in Fantasyland for a few years before coming over to Main Street when Main Street finally opened its doors. However, in 2009, the Main Street magic shop was not technically a magic shop. And they only sold general merchandise until Houdini's Magic became owners, but Disney was allowed to keep the name, which is really sweet. I'm glad yeah. they did.
1: Yeah, they had a kiosk outside in downtown Disney as well, which is how they had the brand out there. And if mm-hmm. you purchase any of like the pre-packaged magic tricks that you could learn in a few minutes, they all mm-hmm. said Houdini's Magic, but outside oh. the marquee still said uh, Magic hmm. Shop, like Disney Magic Shop.
0: Oh, pretty cool!
1: Pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of the cast members were trained with some of those tricks. To this day, you can still walk in and buy a bunch of Houdini's branded prepackaged magic. Some of them super cool. I will not vouch for many because uh, some are. If if you're an adult, Mm -hmm. they they have less flair than if you are a child. I'll oh, say that. OK. You know, because you can clearly see what's going on. And if you are an adult and you want to do uh, better magic, mm-hmm. the uh, cast members that are behind the counter are very well trained. They're super good at what they do. They're amazing at presenting the stuff there. Just go up to them and say, hey, I like this. Can you show me kind of like the adult version that I can do as a parlor trick or something? And uh-huh. they will be more than happy to show you something. And then, mm. you know, you can purchase that as well. So, uh, you know, when I was learning magic, I'll tell you a quick mm-hmm. story. <laughs> when I was learning <laughs> magic, um, I spent a good amount of time learning card magic, basically. That's my favorite type of magic, close-up card magic. And I befriended a lot of magicians in the industry because I had the opportunity to go to the magic castle frequently. Mm -hmm. And I would frequent a couple of magic shops in Hollywood and they would hang out there. Uh, I ended up helping some of them develop their websites and their email newsletters and their shipping. You know, it was awesome. You know, kind of in exchange, you know, for all the help that I was doing, they were teaching me their craft and like on my bookshelves at home, I have a bunch of magic books. Like if you saw them, you'd be like, ha ha
3: nerd. You know, I have,
1: (laughs) you know, it's insane how many magic books I have, but I remember going to the magic shop and then just kind of workshopping things with the people there because they knew, you know, like you, you could openly tell them, Hey, I'm working on this and I could workshop it. But the coolest part was, (laughs) when when uh guests would come into the magic shop and i would just perform something for them they would freak out and they would turn over to the people in the counter and say i want to learn that but nice. it wasn't something that they sold it was always something <laughs> that i was learning from a book and so after a while they were like yeah um dude you got to stop doing that don't do that in here anymore <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's awesome. So I started doing stuff that was closer to what they actually had in the magic shop. Mm -hmm. And then I could kind of point them to, yeah, I learned that. And that's kind of how I learned how to do this. you like, you learn the principles and then you can, which is true, right? You learn the principles and you can kind of apply it to anything. But yeah, I would perform at the Disneyland magic shop. (laughs) That's
0: awesome. You know what? I've never seen a magic trick be done there. There. Really? Yeah. Oh,
1: Well, that's the next crazy. time I'll yeah. show you one.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting on that Hazen magic show we've been hearing about for years. Well,
1: we have to go to the Magic Castle. That's where I get my, my mojo going. Hmm. All right, or Club go 33. Anybody Castle. that wants to go to Club 33, boom, we'll do it. Perfect. <laughs> I can't promise you it's going to be good magic, especially considering that I haven't done it in so long. But that's I'll awesome. show you something.
0: sure (laughs) (laughs) all right so the next shop this one's tripping me out because we're gonna be talking about the tobacco shop
3: Mm
2: -hmm. which is now
0: currently the 20th century music company Mm -hmm. so imagine a shop where you could smell tobacco outside coming from the inside souvenirs and tobacco accessories of all sorts in which none of the products had any Disney characters on them. Right. Ashtrays were all over the park. A lot of them were in front of the attraction because you couldn't really smoke in line, but you could smoke outside of the line. Mm -hmm. So, hey.
2: (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, It ended up being closed in 1991, and afterwards, the Great American Pastimes Took over selling baseball cards and sports memorabilia for about eight years, huh. and that ended up closing in 1999. Since then, it's been the 20th Century Music Company selling Disney DVDs and video. Still standing on the sidewalk, though, if you look outside, you're going to see that Indian from day one, which is really really cool. Yep. And there's another one in Frontierland that still stand there stands there today as well.
1: Yeah. That's right. Do you know why they're there?
0: The only thing I know is just because of the shop when they had that opened.
1: Yeah, during that time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: having an Indian chief was synonymous with having uh, the oh, sale yeah. of tobacco. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. That was and common. And so, because yeah, so anytime that you saw an Indian chief anywhere on the street, it symbolized that you were going to come up on a tobacco shop anytime yeah. soon. It's almost like the barber shop pole yeah the the pole it it was just a a sign and Ah. there was two originally like you said there's one in Frontierland there's one in on Main Street the Mm -hmm. one in Frontierland I don't think is the original one anymore because of the two originals one broke and it was kept uh backstage for a really long time so now they kind of uh, I guess they have a mold where they create replicas of it but one of the two original ones I don't think Uh, exists anymore at least not complete
0: pretty cool
1: yeah so now
0: we're going to go across the street to the crystal arcade so this location was home to many different vendors and a wide range of merchandise we're talking about eight to be exact and the most ever on main street usa so bear with me there are going to be tons of dates to go by in this particular spot but this makes this place rich in history So when it first opened in 1955, it was originally a book and candle shop from 1955 to 1971. But at the same time, you had the glass blowers between 1956 to 1965. Then we had the uh, Crystal Arcade Toys that was there for about a few years between 1958 to 1962. Then we had Gemrock, Inc. from 1956 to 1966. Whew. <laughs> Seriously. Also, at one point, there was a t-shirt counter. And you even had the Aribas Brothers. And we're going to talk about them a little bit later. Throughout all of this, there were still candles. Mm. Over 75,000 different candles.
1: That's insane.
0: That's a lot of candles. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Look, I can't walk into a Bed Bath & Beyond <laughs> now. <laughs> And not be overwhelmed by the hundred candles that they have. Uh-huh. You know, I can't imagine having that many. I mean, were they all scented or just like candles?
0: Uh, it looked like they were just regular candles. Uh, they would have been
1: fine then. Okay, I take back my comment. <laughs> but, they,
0: but we don't know. That's the thing. I, I couldn't find anything that said that some were scented, so we don't know. They could have been. I mm. mean, for heaven knows, we, it could have been just smelling like wax inside. Maybe that's the case.
1: But, I mean, wax. Yay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. That's a smell. <laughs> the candle shop ended up being there until 1990. And then oh, wow. it became the Crystal Arcade that we know. All right. Next one is the Main Street Cinema. This opening day attraction is a small cinema theater that shows six Black and white Disney classic films: The Dog Napper, Mickey's uh, Polo Team, The Moose Hunt, Plain Crazy, Traffic Troubles, and of course, Steamboat Willie.
3: <laughs> 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 I
0: paused because I was like, "I knew you were gonna say something." <laughs>
2: my favorite in there is Plain Crazy. I love that cartoon.
0: They're cute. I I want to say that one. And, of course, Steamboat Willie's really yeah. up there. Steamboat's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, before you go inside the theater, you're actually greeted by Tilly the ticket taker. And Tilly has actually had three costume changes throughout 63 mm. years. She's had her daily costume her seasonal Halloween costume, and she actually had one for the 60th um, anniversary.
1: Interesting. I didn't know that. Cutting yeah. edge of fashion.
0: Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, all right. I was like, dang, go you.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool how when they first opened the park, though, they had real silent movies there. I love that you could just walk in one day and be like, oh, look, it's Gertie the Dinosaur or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
2: Oh, they played non-Disney films? Wait, what? Yeah. So the first oh, that's three
1: cool. Yeah, the first three decades of the Main Street Cinema, you would walk in and some of the popular films were Gertie the Dinosaur and Dr. Jekyll mm-hmm. and Mr. Hyde, The Great Train Robbery, A Dash nice. Through the Clouds. And I think until or sometime during the 60s -hmm. uh, (laughs) at the end of they were all like around 10 minute silent films. Right. But at the end, they would have somebody dressed up as Mr. Hyde to come out and scare the guests that were in the cinema or walking (laughs) out. So it was just like this really cool thing that they did uh, in the cinema. I when I found that out, I was like, wow, that's super cool. And it wasn't until. Hill. oh man i don't remember exactly what the date was but for the first 30 or so years is when they did those other silent films and then they transitioned it to all the mickey cartoons
2: mm, nice
0: i cannot imagine someone dressed as mr hyde coming yeah. out no not at disney <laughs> oh man no <laughs> i mean all it's right. kind of
1: the hatbox Ghost, right <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my has that demeanor.
0: It's but it's funny to think about it because they did something similar at Mansion with the the night yeah. Uh, yeah yeah.
1: That's probably where they got the oh, idea yeah. from.
0: Who who thought of that?
1: I don't know. I wish they still kind of did it. I do too. Crazies. Would you like a scare buggy or non scare buggy? <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Next one is the Market House. Before the famous coffee chain moved in in September of 2013, inside the market house was a game of checkers, chairs, and a pot-belly stove, along with 19—actually, excuse me—along with 1890 party line conversations to listen to, and many knickknacks to look at and adore. But don't worry, the game of checkers, the potbelly stove, and the party lines are still available to enjoy and admire. But. Do you guys remember the huge pickle barrel behind the counter?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like
0: the best pickles ever. They were (laughs) fresh out of the barrel. (laughs) It's hilarious. I do kind of miss that.
2: I was really impressed with the redesign when they brought that famous coffee company in. Uh, You know, a lot of people were worried. A lot of people were miffed that the old market house was going away, but... The fact that they retained a lot of those things and the design work of that interior, you know, if you get a chance to get some coffee and sit in that section off to the right and just watch people walk down Main Street, Mm -hmm. that's one of the sweetest little spots in the park, I think. Yeah. I've sat there on a rainy day and just enjoyed a cup of coffee and watched people walk up and down Main Street for two hours. It's a really sweet spot. And they have artwork back there inspired by the original peter pan illustrations from like the playbills and things like that mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's a beautiful beautiful spot
0: i i've I don't know if i think i've sat there once it's really pretty though yeah i mean well done
1: mm-hmm. you know what i miss from the redesign mm-hmm. what showing them my receipt and getting more coffee
2: Yes,
0: yeah. yes, that was the best. <laughs> I, I didn't put I that totally in there because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That hurts. <laughs> so since 1955, this location has had many names. It's originally opened at the as the Swift Market House for 15 years until Swift was dropped. And it became the Market House in 1971 to 2013. So across the street we have the Fortuosity Shop, which was also the Upjohn Pharmacy. And at this time, or at this uh, location, it was once home to a thousand antiques from 1880s apothecary care, but never was a working pharmacy. Upjohn Pharmacy had in a range of displayed pharmaceutical wares and actually live leeches.
1: Whoa! Yeah they suck all the bad out of you guys. Come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heaven forbids they break a, a jar. <laughs> they would give guests pamphlets of the Upjohn drugstore in Disneyland. And they would also give out postcards as well as one and a half inch glass bottles of Unicap vitamins glass hmm. bottles you
2: well up, up until a certain time all bottles were glass so
0: mm-hmm.
2: it was probably before plastic bottles were common
0: that's true i didn't think about that yeah so pretty much it was a museum of all sorts of ph- pharmaceutical items presented by the pharmacy the pharmacy operated until 1970 when disney removed any remaining original leases. it then became the new century watches and clocks Sponsored by Elgin and Loris took over in 1986. The name then became New Century Timepieces, but in 1987 changed to New Century Jewelry when Rings and Things shop moved next door. 11 years later, in 2008, the shop ended up closed again, but opened up as Fortuosity Shop in October of 2008.
2: Nice. So... That is one of my favorite shops, first of all. Mm -hmm. I love the location, too. And so if you look above the entrance, because it's got a corner entrance on it, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of cool, which I like that. Above that, there's like this little window that kind of juts out from the corner. It's like the upstairs looks to me like it would be an apartment, right? Mm -hmm. And when I fantasize about dream locations of where to live... That is where I want to live is above the fortuosity shop facing carnation cafe, one way market house, the other way. Mm -hmm. And if I lean out on that jutting out window, I can see the castle. Yeah. That to me, like every time I walk by it, I look up there and I think that is a magical spot. I would love to live right there. Mm -hmm. So
0: I'm going to be honest. I didn't know this one thing that I'm going to share with you guys, the little side streets Mm -hmm. between market house Carnation Cafe, Disney Clothier, and mm-hmm. the Market House. It's actually called Center Street. Yep. East Center Street, West Center Street. I didn't, yep. I honestly did not know. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Because I learned about the Flower Mart. And I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah. It was on. What? Like, East,
2: East Center Street was supposed to lead you to Edison Square eventually. Mm-hmm. And West Center Street was supposed to lead you to International Street. Yeah. None of which ever happened at Disneyland, but which some yeah. still dream of possibly happening one day.
0: Yeah. One day.
2: And the
1: area where they sold all of the flowers on East, at mm-hmm. one point during the 60s, kind of became this, like, Mexican celebration where they had, like, Fulcorico and Mariachi just kind of performing because Walt just loved that.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's it
1: awesome. was, like, Mexico Street for a while. It was super cool.
3: Yeah.
0: So, like, Olvera Street. Kind of.
1: Yeah, but I think they officially called it Mexico Street, if I'm not mistaken.
2: (laughs) Super creative. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right to the point.
0: To the point. Okay, so now we're going to go across the street, and we're going to go to Disney Clodiers. This little corner was home to many little shops when Disneyland opened, and this location was first home to Ellen's Gift Shop for two years. And right after, two years after that, it was just an art gallery. However, opening at the same time as Ellen's gift shop was Gibson's greeting cards, which included the stamp, coin, and pen shop for a few years, and you were able to purchase greeting cards, postcards, pens, stamps, coins, all sorts of souvenirs. Later down the line, the location became the Hallmark Communication Center for about 25 years, but this isn't the only history that Hallmark has with disney their history dates back to 1930s as they were the license holder to manufacture greeting cards and other stationery with disney uh, characters once the center closed down in 1983 it then became disney clothiers and still operating present day the next shop is chester drawers which i just realized it is a pun <laughs> Took me a while. I was like, Oh I'm like, why would it be chest chest of drawers? Yep. Oh, I got it. I got it. Fantastic. <laughs> so opening it in nineteen fifty five as the Bluebird shoes, um it was actually around for just a short amount of time and solely catering to children. That's all they sold was like children's shoes. Hmm. In 1956 through 1959 it became Wonderland Music Company. After that it became the Kodak Camera Center in 1960. So Chester Drawers has been at Disneyland since 1994. It's pretty interesting to know that Kodak actually had a couple of spots on Main Street and we'll talk about that in a little bit later as well. Next shop over we see the Castle Brothers. This location was a sp- prime spot for all things cameras before it was a clothing store. GAF became the official official film in 1970s. Polaroid took over in 1980s and then nearly 30 years later, Kodak became the official film in, until 2013, when Nikon became the official camera of Disneyland. Timepieces were always changing. In nineteen sixty nine it was Timex In 1974 it was Elgin, in 1990 it was Loris. Today, the Castle Brothers just sells, pretty much sells menswear of all sorts. Mm -hmm. So now we see the Crystal Arts. The Crystal Arts is a shop where you'll find some of the most beautiful glass pieces and tiaras in Disneyland. The building did open in 1955, but it was Timex that once stood there until 1972. However, in 1966, a crystal shop by the name of Crystal de Orleans of New Orleans Square opened and it was operated by the Arrivas Brothers. They ended up opening up a similar shop in Walt Disney World in 1971 and the next year we would see the sister store on Main Street. Both crystal shops in Disneyland are still operating today.
1: And this is officially not a plug for the Arubis Brothers, although they do some amazing work at all of the shops that they have. But shout out to our buddy Jason, who works at the Arubis Brothers over at Walt Disney World. If you are into crystal art, head on over to the Arubis Brothers and go say hello because he's there. He, you know, he does amazing work and tell him Pocketeer sent you and he'll say like, oh, hey, cool. And then he'll high five you. Because that's all he can really do.
2: I mean, what else is he going to do? I'm just saying. That would be so cool (laughs) if somebody actually went over to him and said, hey, Pocketeers said hi. (laughs) At least one of the 13 people that listens
3: is going to do (laughs) that.
0: All righties. Cross the street. We are going to the Penny Arcade, one of the few spots that has been open since 1955 and was once a full arcade filled with games and other attractions inside. You're first greeted by Esmeralda the fortune teller, who's also had a few updated looks since opening day. Her most recent one is getting updated with technology, and we talk about that in episode 235. Mm -hmm. Behind her, you would find the antique mutoscopes and kaleidoscopes, playing some of the first motion pictures. In the far back of the arcade, you'll find the Welt Orchestron and this hand carved beauty was purchased by walt himself as part of his unusual instrument collection and it played tunes every seven minutes there are a few other arcade games in the area for for instance there would be some that would test your strength there was a love test machine at one point as well sometimes you'll find a pinocchio machine where you can make pinocchio dance to i got no strings in the far left of the Penny Arcade, there was a shooting gallery where the Gibson Girl Kitchen is today. The shooting gallery only lasted seven years and the sounds of the gallery was kind of clashing with the ambience and the music of Main Street USA. So they ended up removing it. At the time, there were two more shooting galleries in the park, one in Adventureland in the bazaar and one in Frontierland, which still operates today. Mm -hmm. now we're going to go across the street to the silhouette studio in the silhouette studio you may have thought this shop was here when the park opened but that isn't the case in the history of main street shops this location was once home to grandma's baby shop and quite possibly the shortest lived shop on main street it didn't even last the entire summer of
2: 1955.
0: wow yeah The Silhouette Studio has been in place since then. Inside the unique shop, having to witness a silhouette being made by these folks, they make it look so effortlessly. Very fine work with such precision. If you've never seen this, I highly recommend that you stop by and check it out. Alrighties, let's talk about this next shop, the China Closet. But before, it was the... Hollywood Maxwell Brazier Company of Los Angeles, a.k.a. the Wizard of Bras. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you could be walking right after Grandma's Baby Shop and see all the intimate apparel up for sale. But what they also did is they also taught you the latest and greatest fashion of the times. Your host was a wizard and Basically, this mechanical wizard taught you everything that was happening from, I would say the latest, like the corsets, the petticoats, intimate apparel, pantaloons, you name it, it was there. The intimate apparel shop ended up closing in 1956 and turned into the china closet that we see in current day. Next shop across the street is we see the Candy Palace. This is the one place on Main Street where you could catch fresh chocolate being made, you know, see the candy being pulled. The Candy Palace sells pretty much anything that has to do with candy. You could find your candied apples, your cake pops, your fudge, lollipops, you name it. This location has been serving your sweet tooth since 1955. Dating back to 1968, during the holidays, this is where you would get your candy canes as well as other seasonal treats, and the tradition lives on. All right, the final shop. Main Street Photo Supply Company, which is currently home to photos and photo supplies, whether it's batteries or charging cables. Before this area was known for camera supplies, it was known for being a welcome center, a place where you could come in for guides to the park or simply sign in your home state book. However... Mm -hmm. This location initially opened as the Plaza Hotel in 1955, but it was short-lived as renamed to the Plaza Apartments in the same year until 1956. When it was renamed to the Carefree Corner, it then became the Complete Tourist Information and Registration Center, and it was around for nearly 20 years. From 1985 to 1988, the Card Center was in business and it also served as the official Disneyland and registration center. However, from 1989 to 1984, it was back to the Carefree Center, but with the addition of merchandise on hand. The Main Street Photo Supply Company has been with Disneyland since 1994 and has been serving guests with their photography needs.
1: You know, one of the coolest things I remember reading at one point was when it was the carefree corner Mm -hmm. that Disney had an open policy where you could walk up to this guest book that they just had available Mm -hmm. and you could sign your name and put what state or what country you came from. And that went on for years. And all of these books with all of these signatures are somewhere in the archive. They stopped doing that after a while because, you know, attendance just rose. Right. But it's. Cool that at some somewhere in the archive, these books with thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of signatures exist. Yeah.
0: Right, just to see that. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Awesome. So before we end this episode, um, I just wanted to share something that I I learned from Disneyland itself. I don't know if you've ever wondered about the addresses on the buildings, and not all of them have a physical address is because they're considered complexes. Mm -hmm. So that mail that would be coming in would go to a specific spot. So let's say like the Crystal Arcade would get all the mail for the neighboring buildings and whatnot. I actually learned this from Main Street City Hall. I looked all over and I was like, you know what, I'm here. I'm at Disneyland. I got to ask. I've had this question for years and I was just like, I need to know. So... Thank you, Main Street City Hall, for helping me out. I mean, it, it kind of threw them off when I asked them because I guess they were thinking I was going to see something else. I'm like, no, I just I have a question about Disneyland. I just needed to know. And knowledge is power. Ask them. Don't be shy. Well, kudos to them. It was pretty cool.
1: So I just want to add one final comment to what i was saying or what we were talking about earlier you know how you were talking about sitting inside of the starbuck um, i'm sorry the coffee shop inside of <laughs> disneyland from that yep. major retailer mm-hmm. yep. uh, and sitting in that right side area and just kind of watching people go by that's one of your favorite places one of my favorite places happens to be the the address or the building formerly known as the Intimate Apparel location <laughs> oh, because yeah. yes. it's a nice little porch. Yep. Yeah. And to many people, that porch is lovingly called Rolly's porch because Rolly Crump, you know, his window is right above that shop now. And it's Fargo's Palm, uh, palm Parlor. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's this whole story about how, you know, Rolly became the assistant of the palm reader and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I love getting the opportunity to sit on, quote, unquote, Rolly's porch yeah. and just watch people go by. So sometimes I've gotten a drink, got grabbed a coffee or something and just sat there. I think that's my favorite spot on Main Street to just sit down and, very cool, and watch yeah. people. so. And there's one particular chair on the stairs where you can kind of angle it so that you're looking down at the castle, which is pretty awesome.
2: Well, and that brings up, you know, Melissa said uh, when she was talking about the Emporium, you know, make sure you look up and and look at uh, the the neat things that are in the interiors of these shops and, and also the windows. I really feel like most people could spend... A full morning or a full afternoon just strolling around Main Street, looking at the Main Street windows, the ones up above that are, you know, honoring people who contributed to Disneyland and the display windows of the shops. They're all so thoroughly themed Mm -hmm. with so many intricate details. And then in the interiors, they all have their own designs, their own vignettes, their own displays. And there's so much to be discovered in all of those shops. So, yeah, look look around Main Street for the first time in a long time, the next time you go. Yeah. And, you know, for the second
1: time in this episode, not an official plug, but just want to throw it out there because, you know, it's super cool. But our buddy Jeff Heimbuck wrote a book not too long ago called The Main Street Windows, where he went and detailed all of the information, all of the people that are on those windows. It's currently available on Amazon. If you guys want to get a copy of it, there is a digital and a printed copy. I'll put it in the episode or in the notes for this episode over at podcasters.com 247 if you want a direct link to it. Uh, we do get a small commission from Amazon if you happen to use our link, but I own that book. I think it is a phenomenal book. Jeff put a lot of work into it, including the book that he did, chronicling Rolly's life and it's kind of a cute story so I'll just throw that in there as well in case you guys are interested but yeah Main Street Windows super cool book all right well I think that's it for this uh walk down Main Street chronicling all of the shops I learned several things from this episode so awesome I'll thank you very much for that yeah you're welcome it's awesome If you have any questions on anything that we talked about in this episode, again, you can always join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for podcateers. We'd love for you to, you know, ask us some questions, leave a comment, and then we will talk about it in an upcoming episode. As of this episode, also remember that March Mayhem is currently going on. Week one of March Mayhem for 2019 is officially in the books, as they say. And in the first week, we saw Mickey Mouse, we saw Stitch, and we saw Genie advance. Next week is going to be... Uh, I mean, by the time that this episode comes out, we're already gonna be three matchups into week two. Mm-hmm. But remember, you can follow along over at podcasters.com/slash March Mayhem 2019. You also get uh, constant posts on Instagram, giving you just uh, the updated brackets. You can follow the matchups on Instagram stories, and it's just it's turning out really good. I like it. Yeah. I think the predictions of many people are starting to come true right now because the I, I was a little surprised that Jeannie took it over Donald, but at the same time, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, I don't know I'm, why.
0: I'm three for three. Yeah. And I'm not an eligible to play. I know.
1: <laughs> it's cool. So anyway... Uh yeah that's going on right now remember uh you, you guys are welcome to vote we'd love to to have you participate
2: in that and that's it anything else before we wrap up yes one last quick thing uh we want to wish a very happy 10th birthday to D23 Woo! Uh, yay if you don't if you don't know D23 is the one and only first ever official Disney fan club for fans. And uh, we are actually recording on their birthday today. So they, they turned 10 and it's been 10 amazing years of celebrating Disney, but also celebrating Disney's fans. I have been a member since the beginning and I'm very grateful to so many of the things they've given us, including Probably, especially including the D23 Expo, which is yeah. an event that I look forward to every other year. So, happy birthday, D23. Happy birthday. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Well, on that happy note, it's time to end this episode. So, until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always
2: remember to
1: pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone.
0: Bye.
2: Major look.